All throughout this mini-series on the characters of Christmas, we've looked at the village of Bethlehem, we've talked about Mary and Joseph, we've looked at the shepherds and the magi, and in this final episode, we're digging into King Herod. And King Herod is a fascinating, complex character that plays a pivotal role in the Christmas story. But what Matthew does in Matthew chapter two, as it relates to King Herod and King Jesus, is rather astounding. It's subtle, it's powerful. Many of us haven't seen it, but it's the foundation for what we're gonna tackle here in our fifth and final episode of Characters of Christmas. So King Herod and King Jesus, here we go. Hey, welcome to the teaching series. I'm Brad Gray and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. You know, the Bible can be difficult to understand. And typically the confusion occurs when we try to read the Bible devoid of its context. Context is everything, and yet the vast majority of people have never been taught how to engage the Bible in its original context of history, geography, cultural backgrounds, and more. At Walking the Text, we create resources to help people understand the Bible in its original context so that they can learn, love, and live it out every day. This podcast is the audio version of our video-based series that you can find at walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel at Walking the Text. As you grow in your understanding of biblical context, you'll read the Bible with greater clarity and confidence than ever before. With that in mind, let's jump into our episode. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, I hope that you've had just an amazing Christmas season celebrating well the coming of Jesus. And I'm just thrilled to be able to do one more episode with you. It's been such a joy throughout this mini-series that Brad and I have got to do together to help just deepen our understanding of the Christmas story. And there's one more piece that is just really riveting about what is happening in the text. And so we are jumping into our last character of Christmas, and we're going to be really centering in on the character of Herod the Great. And in our first three parts of this mini-series, we looked at characters connected to Luke's birth narrative. And in the last episode, and in this one, we're gonna be back in Matthew talking about Herod the Great. Now, in that last episode, Brad Nelson talked about the Magi or the wise men, and he started with the same passage that I wanna begin with. And it's just Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, in the time of King Herod, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. Now, Brad spent the last episode really unpacking the coming of the Magi, the coming of the wise men, and helping us to understand why Herod was frightened in all of Jerusalem with him and talked about the idea that it probably just wasn't three. It was probably an entire caravan and they're coming from the east, which is likely Parthia and just the whole relationship that Herod had with the Parthians and how he even came to rule and reign. And then what happens when the Magi are coming from the east, which is also coming from Parthia. And Brad did a fantastic job breaking all of that down. If you haven't seen that episode, I'd highly recommend you checking that out. But it's not just the fact that the Magi are coming from the east. There is something happening on the home front that causes this stir among Herod 
and all of the other leaders of Jerusalem who are in cahoots with Herod. That is who is frightened by the coming of the Magi. And in order to understand this other reasoning, we really need to just go one verse further where it says that in calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So Herod is talking now about the Messiah, which means he is aware that there is a coming Messiah, that there is a coming true king of Israel. And he is aware of the circumstances surrounding this from the Hebrew scriptures. And not only that, he understands why he himself isn't the true king of Israel. And to understand that, we need to unpack what we just call the complexity of Herod. And this is something that Kenneth Bailey, in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, began the conversation around. And it just goes something like this, that when you look at who Herod is, religiously, Herod is Jewish. He is ruling on a Jewish throne, and therefore, religiously, he's doing a lot of Jewish things in order to keep the peace among the people because Herod knew that he was hated among the Jewish people. Culturally, Herod is Greek. His first language was Greek. And as he is growing up as a boy, he is growing up under the cultural realities of the Greek World. It wasn't until he was a boy that the Romans actually came into the land of Israel. And now many of you know when we talk about Greco-Roman, we take the Roman culture and put it on top of the Greek culture. But at the foundation of Herod's life was a Greek cultural understanding. Politically, though, he's Roman because he was installed on the Jewish throne to hold the eastern front for the Roman Empire and to keep the Parthians out. But racially, he's Arab because his mother is from Nabatea, his father is from Idumea, and as you're going to see in a moment, the region of Idumea was settled by those who came from the descendants of Esau, or what we call Edom, and therefore ancestrally, Herod is Edomite, he's from the tribe of of Esau. So let me show you how this is all working out on a map. These are the regions in the New Testament era, and you can see Idumea right here. But what happens is, is that during the intertestamental period, you have, from the time the Older Testament ends to the time that the New Testament picks up its events, is that the region over here in the Older Testament is called Edom, from the descendants of Esau. And during the Persian time period, the intertestamental period, there was an Edomite migration over to what was formerly known as the biblical Negev, and it was resettled by the Edomites, and it was named Idumea. And in the vacancy of when the Edomites left, this people group known as the Nabataeans, and there's lots of discussions about exactly where did they come from, filled in 
that area and their capital city is at Petra, which is down here. Many of you have probably heard of Petra before. And it's from Petra that Herod's mother came from. So she is of Arab descent because the Nabataeans were Arab, but also the Edomites were Arab. And so Herod is Arab from his mother's side. He is Arab from his father's side. And ancestrally, because it came through the father, he is from the lineage of Esau. Now, Josephus will tell us that the last Hasmonean king, which is the ruling dynasty right before Herod, Antigonus referred to Herod as an Idumean, i.e. a half-Jew, which was actually a knock against Herod because he wasn't even half-Jewish. He was 0% Jewish because what happened was is that in the second century BC, under the pain of death, there were the Idumeans were forced to convert to Judaism, and that's where Herod's family line became quote unquote Jewish. But as we unpacked, like he's Jewish religiously, but everything else is all across the map. And so he's called a half Jew, which is a knock against him. But there's also another aspect of this that takes us all the way back to the beginning of the story. In Genesis, in chapter 25, it says, And the Lord said to her, and he's talking to Rebekah, Isaac's wife, who is going to give birth to Esau and Jacob. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Esau is born first. The prophecy is that Esau will serve Jacob. And when you look at the Messianic lineage, the Messiah was to come through the line of Judah, which is through Jacob, not through the line of Esau. And so that's where the true king is coming from. What's more is that if you go to Obadiah, the prophecies of Obadiah talk about the complete destruction of the lineage of Esau. Furthermore, on the home front among the Pharisees, Josephus records that some of the Pharisees who always refused to take the loyalty oath to Caesar and Herod prophesied that the kingdom would be taken from Herod by a new king who would bring the restoration of wholeness in some manner or form. And when you bring all of this into consideration and you understand what is going on, Herod knows this and we know this, that Herod may possess the title king of the Jews, but he's not the true king. And Herod knows it, and this is why he seeks to connive with the wise men to give up the location of where Jesus was born so that Herod can go and kill Jesus and eliminate the threat because this is what Herod did with every threat to his throne is he eliminated. Whether it was real or it was perceived, Herod eliminates threats. And so you see all of this playing out in Matthew chapter two. Now, there's one more piece to this, and this is where we're really gonna kind of land this episode, is that out of this understanding of Herod being the king of the Jews, Matthew does something so riveting in recording 
this story that maybe some of you have picked up on before and maybe you haven't. So let me show you. It begins again in Matthew 2, verses 1 and following, in the time of King Herod. Or some of your translations will say Herod the king. When Herod is introduced in Matthew, it's King Herod. And then the question is asked, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? I.e., where's the real king? The question is, you know, will the real king stand up? Who are we talking about here? And then it says in verse 3, when King Herod heard this. So again, Herod is referenced again, and he's referenced as king. And then it says, after Herod is talking to the Magi, when they had heard the king, again, referencing Herod, we have the language of king. Then they go and they meet Jesus, the real king, and notice the next time Herod is mentioned in verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Did you catch it? The reference to Herod has no king associated with his name, and it's not a fluke that there are five more times after this that Herod is referenced in Matthew chapter 2, and in not one instance is the word king next to Herod. He's simply known as Herod. And I think very subtly and yet very powerfully, Matthew is helping us to see that when you've met the true king, your allegiance is to him and to him alone. That Jesus is the rightful king. He is the ruling and reigning king. And that Herod may possess the title, but ultimate allegiance and ultimate kingship belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so as we just come to terms with what Matthew is doing and just what's subtly yet powerfully sitting in the text, it really challenges us to understand and to live out this reality this Christmas season. That as we are in the midst of this Christmas season and as we've celebrated Christmas, we've done so around the reality of who Jesus is. We celebrate the fact that Jesus came, that he left the comforts of heaven to enter into human skin as a poor, helpless babe to a poor teenage couple in the midst of humble circumstances in the presence of lowly shepherds and ultimately to powerful wise men and everyone in between, Jesus came for all people. We celebrate this Christmas season that Jesus' love and his grace and his forgiveness knows no bounds. We celebrate the joy of the reality that Jesus came, as well we should. But here's the question I want us to ponder in the midst of the reality of this Christmas season about who Jesus is as the king, is this question. How are we living under his rule and reign in our lives?
that as we just take stock of this last year, how are we living our lives in connection to Jesus? Is Jesus for us just an intellectual affirmation of his identity? Or is he, in addition to that, the functioning king in our lives, who's governing us through his rule and reign that we have given full permission to? You know, this is the time of year where we look over the last year and we also start making resolutions for the new year. And as we do so, this to me has been the most powerful question to ponder during this Christmas season. Because it's easy during the Christmas season to celebrate Jesus, to sing the carols, to have fun at the parties, to give the gifts, to do all the things that come around with Christmas and go, yes, Jesus came. Jesus is the son of God. Isn't this amazing? But to then not live out that reality in our lives. And so as you are thinking ahead to this next year, to what you want to change in your own life, Like what things need to be let go of? What rhythms need to be engaged? What practices need to be employed for us to be able to grow in our relationship with Jesus to allow him to ultimately have rule and reign over our lives? Because with Christmas 2,000 years ago came a king, came a king with an everlasting kingdom. And the gift that Jesus gives is not just salvation for eternity, but an awareness, a mission, an identity around partnering with him to expand his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And that doesn't happen by a simply proclaiming the identity of Jesus. It happens when we align ourselves with his life, with his will, with his rule, with his reign. When we give him our ultimate allegiance and we pattern our lives in a way to say, Jesus, you are the ruling king in my life and I want to be obedient to your will in my life to be able to partner with you to expand your kingdom here on earth. That's what we're celebrating during Christmas. That's what we celebrate during Easter. And that's what we celebrate the rest of the year as well. And so may you continue to celebrate the Christmas season with joy, with wonder, with awe. But may you also celebrate it with a laser-focused allegiance on the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because we have been invited into a massive story. And so friends, thanks so much for joining us for this series, Characters of Christmas. Brad and I hope that it has just enriched your Christmas season, that it's enriched your understanding of the biblical text. And as always, hopefully it's not just really good information for you, but transformation happens when that information gets walked out in life. And as you know, if you've been following us for any length of time, we always sign off a certain way because we always want to be reminded that we want to take the word of God and walk it out. So as always, may you walk out the text well in your life.